joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. What makes a prayer dangerous? I guess I should start with that. This is what makes a prayer dangerous. A dangerous prayer requires something of us. A dangerous prayer asks more of God and less of us. A dangerous prayer causes us to peel back the things that shouldn't exist in us and allow the Holy Spirit to remove them. Why are they dangerous? Because they're painful. There's no refining process ever that's not uncomfortable. As iron is sharpening by, sharpened by iron, there's a friction process that causes fire and smoke and hurt. But you know what? At the end of the day, suffer the hurt for the sanctification. Oh, that's good. Somebody all write that down. But let me tell you, that's a dangerous prayer. When you walked in, many of you, you may not have, uh, you may have picked up this card. I, I made this. I'm going to remake it this week because the print's a little too small. But this card is our prayer card for the next five weeks. And they're the, they're the topics that I'm going to cover for the next five weeks. This week I'm going to cover prayer for personal revival, prayer for humility, prayer for perfected love, prayer for an obedient heart, and prayer for increased fruitfulness. And let me tell you, those are dangerous prayers to pray. Because when you ask God to stir a spirit of revival in you, He's not going to be able to do that unless He cuts some stuff out of you. When you ask God for a humility, He's going to give you an opportunity to be humbled. Amen? When you pray that He gives you an opportunity for increased faithfulness, He's going to present you an opportunity to be bold in His name so that other people might know. These are dangerous prayers because they're prayers that cost us something, which make them really the only prayers that we need to be concentrating on right now. Let's focus on us. Amen? I want to tell you a little illustration. There's a story of a pastor. And I know I've got several pastors or teachers in here, and so you guys probably be able to relate to me. If you'll watch the podium at the end of every service, every Sunday, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And I'm not dogging anybody. It's just the way that people are. So I come off the podium, right? I'm, I'm feeling either good about what I preach or bad about what I preach. There's a, just really kind of a cacophony of things that I'm feeling when I step off the podium. And there's always somebody that leaves their seat and they come up to the podium and they don't just kind of saunter up there all. Boy, you have no idea. You missed a verse. Let me tell you, this verse, if you'd have just said this one verse, if you'd have said it this way, it would have been so much better. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So there's always somebody like that. And I'm not hating on them. They, they just didn't pray as long about the sermon that I preached as, they, as I did. <laughs> so... And so, uh, focus, y'all. So there's this preacher, and he comes off the podium, and he, he's approached by a gentleman. And the gentleman very intensely, very strongly looks at him. He said, Pastor, I've had enough. He said, what have you had enough of? He goes, we need revival. We need revival in this church. The church is dead. We need revival in this city. The city is dead. We need revival in this state, in this country, around the world. We need a fresh fire. We need the fire to fall down. We need a revival right here, right now. And the pastor says, you're right. But hold on a second. pastor leaves him for a few minutes, goes to his office, comes back. And he says, I agree with you. 
that we need a revival, a fresh fire. That we need it in our church. That we need it in our community, in our city, in our state, in our country, around the world. But I need you to do me a favor before you do that. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out a piece of chalk. He said, I want you to take this chalk home. I want you to draw a six-foot circle around yourself and sit inside of it. And when you can bring revival to that circle, we'll talk about this city. We can want revival all day long. But until we're willing to sit inside the circle and ask God to revive us first, we're wasting our time. Because our vessel's broken. Jesus, or excuse me, Paul tells Timothy, fan into flame the thing that's been given on given to you by the laying on of hands. He said, don't, he didn't say fan into flame the thing that Rick was given by the laying on of hands. You're responsible for you first. You want to know how to minister to other people? You know how to create revival? Not that you can create it, but you know how to help revival happen? Be revived in of yourself first. And so that's why I want to talk about today because revival costs us something. It's a dangerous prayer. And I'm going to preach this lesson today out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Can everybody hear me all right? These are available at the, at the booth over here on the way out if you didn't pick one up. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. And what I didn't say about them is they have a small prayer for each service because I want us all to be praying the same thing. Because there's power in unified prayer. Amen? Amen? And so they're not long, they're not deeply theological, they're just based around the subject that we're talking about that week. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. If you're joining us online, just know that if you'll email the church at info at launchpoint.church, I'll send you a digital copy of it. And so 1 Thessalonians 23 and 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete, Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is He. Can somebody say faithful is He? Who calls and He he also will bring it to pass. I ask you to repeat faithful to me because I want to set the platform for what I'm talking about today. Really what I talk about every day is that God is faithful. That's a declarative statement. I can't preach to you if you don't come in here with a pre-understanding that the Word of God is true. I need you to know that the Word of God is infallible. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what your past experiences are. What your traditions according to religion are. The Word of God is the Word of God. And your traditions, your past experiences, don't, don't matter to the Word of God. The Word of God and the truth therein is not subjective to your opinion nor is it subjective to mine. And so when it says God is faithful, guess what it means? It means God is faithful. We come with the pre-understanding that the Word of God is true, and with that pre-understanding, we come with the understanding that God is faithful to do what He says He's done, what He'll do. And in this instance, bring about personal revival. So let me make three points to you today out of this text. I'm going to make them... Three, relatively quickly. Number one, if if you're joining us the first time or the first time online, know that I I preach by point to make it very easy for you to take notes. Because I want you to study. I want you to go home. I want you to challenge my thinking. 
I want you to challenge my theology and my doctrine. If you ever find that I've told you something wrong, come to me, we'll talk about it. And if it's true that I, that I have said something incorrectly, I will correct it from the place I got it wrong right here so that you're not walking around in your misunderstanding. Amen? So point number one, the prayer for personal revival acknowledges God. The prayer of personal revival acknowledges God. Verse 23a says, Now may the God of peace Himself. Essentially what this, this peace is saying is that we have to recognize Him in everything. If you expect to receive from God, you better recognize that God is God. That He is exactly who the Word says that He is. That everything you have, you have at His hand. Everything you don't have, you have at His hand. And He has kept you from it for a reason. We have to acknowledge God, and that requires trust. But that's what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord and with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The first thing we need to do is say that God is responsible for it all. We need to acknowledge Him. We need to give Him credit for it. People say, I earn my own paycheck. Well, let me tell you, you might have actually picked up your paycheck, but you didn't earn your paycheck by anything that God didn't give you. God gave you the wisdom, the education, the knowledge, the strength, the day, the breath to get that job done. Your paycheck is a result of what God gave you. You want to go before the throne of God and say, man, I appreciate that you're sovereign, that you're all-powerful, but I got what I got by my own hand. Good luck with that. You probably won't be around to tell me how that worked out, but if you are, I'd like to know how it turned out. Because the truth of the matter is, you can't say, I earned, I provided my strength or my education. Because the genesis of all of it, the beginning of all of it, is God. And so we have to trust Him and trust Him with our whole heart. People wonder, I love the back end of this verse, it says, and He will make your path straight. People are all, man, my life is horrible. There's so many hills and valleys and crooks and crevices and all this kind of stuff. You know why? Or at least you know why it's possible? Because you haven't trusted the Lord God with all your heart. God's going to let you run the race you want to race. But let me tell you, if you'll get on His track, His track is smooth, it's even, it's multi-laned. There's officials making sure everything works out like it's supposed to. God's going to take care of those who acknowledge Him. And that take care of you may not look like what you think it should look like, but you don't have the eternal perspective that God has. I can't tell you how many times I, could, I, could, I can remember back thinking, God, you said it wasn't supposed to work out like this. Six months later, I'm all, God, I'm glad it didn't work out like that. <laughs> right? Because he made the path straight. Because I acknowledged him, trusted him, and didn't lean on my own understanding, but his understanding. We have to acknowledge that God did it. It's the declaration of lordship. This is saying that literally out loud that I trust you. And I'm going to be obedient to you. And everything that I do, I'm going to do for your glory. It's, it's literally what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 
whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I don't care what you do, acknowledge God. To glorify means to lift up, to make larger. So I do everything that I do, or supposed to, we are all supposed to, do everything that we do to make God larger in our life. Make God larger in the lives of the people that know us because of how large he is in our life. Amen? So you want a, you want a personal revival? Start by recognizing that revival ain't got nothing to do with you except for your submission to it. And acknowledge him. Trust him to do the work. Because he will. Matter of fact, he probably already is. Number two. The prayer for personal revival seeks sanctification of self. <clears throat> Let me get this word sanctification out of the way for somebody that may not know. And I don't mean to be, well, you don't know what the big word means. Probably everybody knows what it means. But I just, if there's somebody that just got saved, I, I never want to pretend that everybody knows all the religious words. Amen. It's just not fair. Sanctification just literally means set aside to self. If I had a sucker, I don't. I wish I did. You got a sucker in your purse? Hey, don't give it to me. I'll, I'll, I'll suck it the whole time. So I took this sucker out of my wife's purse. I unwrap it. And I lick it. And I say, who wants this sucker? Anybody going to want this sucker? Not today. You know why? Because I've set it aside as mine. And so to say that we're sanctified by God, it means that we've been set aside by God for the purpose of God. That sucker was set aside by me for the purpose of me. It belongs to me. Ain't nobody be licking on my sucker except for me. Amen? And so with that being said, the prayer of personal revival seeks sanctification of self. Seeks to be set aside. 23b says, sanctify you entirely. That your spirit and soul and body be preserved completely without blame. May God sanctify you entirely literally means that our sanctification, our being set aside, is the work of God. Is the work of God. Praise God for that. That should set you free. Everybody in this room should have went, Oh, man, there for a second I thought I was going to have to do it. You don't have to do it. It's God's problem. Your problem is to submit. Amen. And to adhere to your responsibility, which I'm going to talk about in just a few minutes. But it's God's problem. He sanctified you entirely. Let me explain this to you. I'm going to run through it as fast as I can and hopefully make sense. It's by His plan that you are saved. Let me prove this to you in Scripture. Acts 2.23 says, This man, Jesus, this is Peter talking on the day of Pentecost, to, to all the people that just killed Jesus. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What did he say? He said that by the, because of the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of God. God had a plan to save you before you knew you needed to be saved. Amen. From the foundations of the earth according to... Um, 1 Peter 1.20. This is beautiful, man. This, this just amazes me. I know I've used this illustration a thousand times, but there's five or six illustrations that I use all the time because they, they literally bowl me over with the grace of God. And this is the truth. 
Well, let me back up. How many of you guys sinned this week? I'm going to raise my hand. I'm not a liar. How many of y'all sinned this morning? Sometimes stuff don't go right. You let stuff wander around your head too long. You get mad. Right? A couple of y'all. I didn't sin this morning. Then I just said that. And you go, oh yeah, maybe I did. <laughs> right? How many of you guys, and I don't want to show a hands on this because I don't want to embarrass anybody, committed the most heinous sin you've ever committed after you gave your life to the Lord? I tell you, I have. Well, that's not true. Mine was before. But I know people that have. Listen to this truth. How, how awesome and beautiful is this? You committed the most heinous thing you've ever done after God saved you. But God had a plan to save you from the foundation of the earth. And because he's in all places at all times, he knew you were going to commit the most heinous thing you did after you gave your life to him, but decided to give his life for you anyway. God, that's beautiful, ain't it? And we're walking around in guilt. Why are we walking around in guilt? We should, be, we should be bowled over by grace. Grace is such a huge thing. It's more than just the coined unmerited favor. It's the strength to walk in who God called you to be. To be everything that God called you to be. To know you are who God told you you are. And that is amazing to me. It should be amazing to all of us. It's the reason why when Paul was asked, so do we sin because of grace? And he says, no. Why did he say no? Because grace shouldn't cause us to sin, but to recognize how much God loves us and desire, it cause us to desire to love Him even more. Every time my wife extends grace to me for something I did stupid, I don't decide, you know what, she forgave me that time, I'm going to do something stupid again. I mean, I'm probably going to do something stupid again. <laughs> but it's not my plan. Instead, I go, man, I love that woman now, today, more than I did yesterday. Because even in my stupidity, she was faithful. And the Word of God says, what? He is faithful. That's so good. So it's by His plan. Remember, we're talking about sanctification. Setting aside is His work, not ours. It was by His plan. It's by His Son that the work was done. Jesus Christ died that you might be sanctified. He gave His life. He was nailed to the cross, just like Peter was saying in Acts chapter 2. He was beaten, stripped naked, beaten again, blasphemed against. The Son of God come down from heaven. I don't think we give enough weight to that. What did He endure so that He could be our once and for all sacrifice? More than we can imagine and acknowledge, I'd say. But the truth of the Word of God in Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been sanctified, set aside, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Which means no need to repeat it. His work was so perfectly complete that He who knew no sin became sin so that we might have eternal life. He took our place on the cross, taking the death that we deserved. The punishment of God, the wrath of God that we deserved. He took the cup that would have cost us eternity so that we wouldn't have to. Man, y'all should get excited about that. Sanctification process is by the plan of God, the work of Christ, and the provocation of the Spirit. 
John 6, 44 says, No man can come to me unless the Father who sent unless the Father who sent me draws him. You guys are very familiar with this verse. I can't be hanging out at a ball game or at a bar or strip club or wherever it is you hang out before you get saved. And just look and be like, you know what, I'm out of $1 bills, man. I might as well just give my life to the Lord today. It's not how that works. The Spirit of God has to draw us. The Spirit of God convicts us. And when the Spirit of God convicts us and your heart starts racing, you get this weird feeling in your neck where your arteries feels like it's thumping against your ear and you can't breathe and you know, man, if I don't confess my, my sins to Jesus, I, I think I might just explode right here. That's called conviction. That's a work of the Spirit. That's not a work that you did. Trust me, you can't run far enough, fast enough to make that feeling happen. But not only that, not only does He, he convict us to salvation, draw us to Himself, but it says that he, when He comes, Jesus says this, when He's telling the disciples about He's about to leave, He said, but I'm not going to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you. It's John 16, 8, He says, and when He comes... Notice that it says he comes. My pet peeve, and it should be yours too, is when somebody calls the Holy Spirit an it. He is a he is a he. Amen? When he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin, righteousness, and judgment. So not only does he convict to save us, not only did Jesus do the work to save us, to set us apart, to sanctify us, not only was it by God's plan to save us, but he continues to convict us in light of our sin, so that we might come to salvation, in light of righteousness, so that we may be conscious of our sin continually in our Christ-like walk, in our sanctification process, but also in judgment so that we keep our eye on the prize. Because at the end of the day, all of us are going to stand before Jesus and give an account for who we are. Amen. Surprisingly, it surprises me that some Christians don't know, even if you're saved, you're going to stand before Jesus and be judged. It's not an eternal judgment. You're, that's settled when you give your life to the Lord. But you're going to have to give an account for every word and every action you've ever said or spoken. Spoken or done. And I don't know about you, man, but I don't even want to talk to Jesus right now about the stuff I did today. But imagine, if you will, the blessing of it. Why do you stop looking at the white throne of judgment as a shameful thing? You ever had somebody that you just in your life that you came absolutely clean with? You told them every secret that you've ever had? And there was such a feeling of transparency and love there after that? I think that's why the great white throne happens. So that God knows. So that we know. Because he already knows. So that God knows. That we know he knows. Right? Because let me tell you, true love Love like so many people never experience is fostered in transparency. And all of that through the Holy Spirit. But He does all of that, sanctifies us by His plan, by His work, by His Spirit, so that we might be sanctified perfectly and completely and wholly according to this text. That your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. And so I want to talk about that just for a second. Our spirit, our soul, our body. What does that mean? Do you know you don't get to keep any of you when you give your life to the Lord? Our spirit. 
is what God saves. I hear people say all the time, I'll get mad at them when they say it because they just don't know what they're saying. They say, God saved my soul. He didn't. He saved your spirit. Your spirit is eternal. Your soul is the seat of your emotion, your mind, your psyche. This is the thing that we have been commanded in the word of God to be transformed so that we might know the perfect will of God. It's Romans chapter 12. But God, through all the processes we just talked about, saves our spirit. We have a responsibility then to walk like Christ walked. To submit our soul, our psyche, our thoughts to him. Our emotions, our raw emotions to him. We have a responsibility then to submit our body to him. Because let me tell you, the body is just the mechanism by which our thoughts come to action. If you get your mind right, your body will follow. It has to. Has anybody ever taken an action that they didn't think about first? You can't. It's impossible because the mind makes the body work. Now, you may be so accustomed to doing something that you don't physically think about thinking about it, but let me tell you, some process happened in your brain that caused you to do that habitually. So you want to get your hand right? You get your head right, which only happens when you get your heart right. Oh, oh, that's not in my notes. That's extra right there. (laughs) But do you hear what I'm saying? And our responsibility is to submit to his plan, to his work, and to his spirit. So that the spirit that's already been saved, when we declare Jesus Christ as Lord, believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, might also begin to do a work in our mind so that it may be a slave and our body follows suit. So that ultimately we glorify life, God, with our life. We have to be willing to be like Jesus. Just simply put. It says, I think I blew past the the text, I don't remember the address, but it's, hold on, I got it here somewhere. Probably. Or maybe I don't. But that's all right. Yeah, anyway. We have to submit our life. If we're going to be call ourselves Christ, we have to walk as Christ walked. I apologize, I can't remember the address. But that's what it says. There's an old story, rabbi story, tradition, that a rabbi was a teacher, just means teacher, would assume students, whether they came to him or he went to, he went to them, regardless of how that happened, he would assume a student. And that student began to spend literally his life with his rabbi. He would follow him from town to town, watch him teach, assist him with whatever he needed, learn from him, model his traditions, do all the stuff, walk the way that he walked, talk the way that he talked. You guys ever spend so much time with somebody you begin to sound like them? Yeah, so this is what a, this is what a student did to a rabbi. And out of that bore, out of that came a, a, a saying that you should be covered, a student should be covered in the dust of their rabbi. That they travel so closely behind them on these trails between cities that when the dust kicks up off the rabbi's feet, he should be covered in it. Jesus is our rabbi. We should be covered in the dust of our Jesus. 
That's the challenge. Amen? And when we do all of those things, we know that we can trust God's faithfulness. Number three, the prayer for personal revival trusts God's faithfulness. 23C and 24 says, At the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. He will see, we will see the coming of the Lord because he has promised it. Which is, he said it, I believe it. It's good enough for me. Amen? I love the, the verse that's, how many of you guys have heard the verse? The promises of God are yes and amen. You misheard it, it's not true. The promises of God are yes. And because of that, we have confidence to say amen. Did you catch that? God doesn't have to say yes and amen. His yes is, let it be done. But because he is not a liar, because he is faithful, because he will do what he says he will do, when he says yes, I can stand boldly and confidently and say amen, which is to say, let it be done, or it shall be done. And I praise God for that. Because if God tells me that at the end of my life I'm going to see Him because I trusted the sanctification process, because I submitted myself to personal revival, then guess what? I'm going to see Him at the end of my life. He says yes, and we say amen. amen. Now I want to tell you three promises. Let me give you three promises. And I'm just going to read these three verses. You're familiar with probably most of them. Because I just want you to hear the promise straight from the Word of God. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a promise and God is faithful. He said yes, you say. John 11.25-26 Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live and everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. He said yes and we say Amen. It's funny to me that then he asked the question, Jesus asked the question, do you believe this? Well, yeah, you just said it. You're God. You can't lie. John 14, 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And God says yes, and we say Amen. But you know what we have to do to be able to say amen to his yes? Submit to the sanctification process. We need to be willing to draw the piece of chalk out of our pocket. Draw a circle around ourselves and say, God, today bring revival to me. And from me to my house. And from my house to my block. From my block to my community. From my community to my city. From my city to my state. Let me tell you, God is faithful if we will start drawing circles around ourselves first. Recognizing that it's not our work, it's His work. Trusting that it's not our work, it's His work. It's His plan, Christ's work, the Holy Spirit's conviction that makes all of this happen. And empowerment, by the way. Because some of y'all are thinking, man, I don't know if I can do it. In Christ Jesus, you can. It's the reason He sent you His Holy Spirit to empower you to walk the life He called you to walk. It's, not, it's incredible that He didn't just tell you to do it. He gave you the ability to do it. And when you fall down, he gave you the grace to forgive you for that too. Oh man, I'm about, to, I'm about to get excited in here. Can I get an amen?
But let me tell you, there are people in this room that aren't doing what you're amening. And I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you. But He does expect you to get it right. If there's anybody in this place today that you say, you know what? There's something in my life ain't what it's supposed to be. There's something in my life that's gone astray from God's plan. I need God to to show me how to bring personal revival to myself. First, give me the wisdom and revelation to know what needs to be fixed in me. God, will you show me what needs to be fixed in me and then give me the power and the ability and the strength to do it? If you can't identify that thing, start praying that prayer. You'll you'll identify something. But if you can identify something right now, I want you to stand because I'm going to pray over you. If you know there's something in your life that shouldn't be there, and I'm not going to ask you what it is. I'm not a Catholic priest. I just want to pray for you. Is there anything in your life today that inhibits the the ministry, the purpose that God has for your life? I want to pray for you today. Thank you. Father God, in Jesus' name, we know what you expect of us. And God, quite honestly, I'm I'm blown away by the fact that really all you expect of us is to believe your word and trust you. That you have done everything necessary to ensure that we've been set aside for your purpose. God, that your plan included us. That you gave us your Holy Spirit and the work of your Son, Jesus. God, you've already saved our spirit. God, will you give us the strength, the ability, the determination to pursue you in our mind, in our body, so that we might glorify you through the things that we think and the things that we do? God, our desire isn't selfish. We've got got nothing earthly to gain and don't want anything earthly to gain. We just want more of you. God, bring us personal revival. Bring revival to our homes. I pray, God, that you'll do it. And I'll say thank you because your word says that you're faithful to. We worship you, Lord. I pray for every person. You know the need here. You know the thing that's standing in the way. God, can you show them what that is? Help them determine a plan to defeat it. We can make plans. Your word says that a noble man makes plans. And by noble plans he stands, but we jack those up. But your word says that you, you direct our feet. So God, direct our feet, direct our spirit, so that we might glorify you in everything that we do. So that personal revival might come to us. Let us assume the pain that ultimately they may be pleasure. We thank you for who you are. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just a couple things real quick, and then we'll cut you loose. Uh, don't forget everybody's going out that way, um, just to avoid the stuff. And let's talk about our offering real quick. Woo-hoo! Everybody turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, 12 through 13. I'll make this very simple because I, you know, one of the things I've always loved about this church is that 
God's always, God's always brought provision. And we've never begged for it. We just trusted that God would do it. And He has. And so why do we do offertory if God's going to bring us provision anyway? Because I want to teach you the benefit of giving. I want to give you confidence in your giving. That's why we do it. Not to beg you for money or anything like that. That's not what we do. God will provide what He determines to provide for us. My pastor told me a long time ago, he said, he said, just do the ministry. Don't worry about money. Money follows ministry. Ministry never follows money. And I found that to be true. With that in mind, Luke chapter 9, 23 and 20, or sorry, 12 and 13 says this. Now the day was ending and the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away at, that they may go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find lodging and get something to eat. For here we are in a desolate place. So the disciples went to Jesus and we're all, man, we ain't got, got, got the ability to feed these folks. And Jesus said this. Gotta love Jesus. He said to them, give them something to eat. Right? I'm sure Peter or whoever said it is all, man, I just told you I ain't got nothing to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless perhaps we go and buy food for all of these people. I bring this up in the offertory for this reason. You are responsible for what you can't do. You're only responsible for what you can do. And trust God that He's going to take care of the rest. One of the best, I've shared this with all three services, one of the biggest blessings that I've ever gotten here at the church in regard to our giving was an envelope that had a $1.37 in it. And it said, I sorry I can't do more you know why that blessed me because it's never about the money the fact of the matter is the dollar 37 is not going to pay somebody's electric bill but the, but the loaves and fishes shouldn't have fed 5,000 either so what happens when somebody shows up needing an electric bill paid and it's $62.37 that's paid because somebody cared less about what they were giving and more about the heart from which they were given that's all that we want from you listen to the voice of God and trust him to supply the need amen let's pray Father God in Jesus name we love you and thank you that we do have an opportunity to give God at whatever level we can give I thank you for the faithfulness of the people in this room the people in this church the people that are watching online that they've been so willing to give, even during this hard time. God, I ask that you bless them, that you continue to bless them. Those that aren't able to give, I ask that you bless them too. Because I believe you're a God of blessing. I believe when you bless them, they'll begin to understand the blessing of giving and everybody will be awesome for it. We thank you for that, Lord. I ask that whatever's given today, that you multiply it, that you put your hand over it, much like these loaves and fishes. That it'll feed whoever needs to be fed. That it'll meet the need of whatever need needs to be met. That we might be seen as a place that loves you and declares you in every place that we go. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are mighty to save. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you give us a heart for it. We worship you, God. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.